Hi, you're listening to InsureTech Perspectives with Bolt. I'm your host, Fiona Mattesini, and on the way, you're going to hear from David Brandeis, Bolt's Senior Vice President for the Customer Success Team. And what I really liked and was almost surprised by was how honest David was about the work he does and the approach he takes and just the mindset he adopts across a range of topics. Let me give you some examples. We talked about industry challenges. There's a real pressure on everybody, including us, to you know meet that crush of time. We talked about competitors. We may partner with some of them, we may compete against some of them, but, you know, for us, it just makes us better at what we do. We also had a really good and honest discussion about failure. We failed, we took it off, we brought it back when it was the right thing, and we eventually found value in it. But we didn't sit there and try to find 50 different ways to market it. We, you know, walked away when we knew it wasn't going to work. I love that clip. A lot to say, and we're saying it all in less than 30 minutes. So strap in. Here we go. Episode two. Let's get David's perspective. David, it's great to have you in the pod. Thanks so much for joining me. So um, I've been stalking you just a little bit on LinkedIn and your industry credentials really stand out. But I think your current role at Bolt is particularly interesting. Senior Vice President Customer Success. So taking this job title as our starting point, what does success mean to an average Bolt customer? And obviously, I know you have a range of customers, but in the broadest brush strokes, what does success look like? We see our customers coming to us less on markets and more on what I would call sales enablement. Since they're mostly in call centers and they really have a limited time, they're really trying to figure out the best way to flow their customer through the process and do it in a way where they don't sound salesy, but they sound more like a risk manager and they're advising and they're really trying to move the flow along so that if they can sell something more, great. If they can get sold what they want to get sold, great. And they want the platform to interact that way. Our exchange is critical to interact that way. So the platform can almost preempt what a customer is thinking even before they're thinking it. And so the customer feels like, oh, great, I didn't know I needed that, but actually I do need that. Exactly. So in this example, if they're going through an interview on a homeowner's policy and they come across, do you have a pet? And the person says, yes, I have a dog. Mm -hmm. Instead of it being a negative, they turn it into a positive and it allows the flow not to change the schedule, but it makes sure that it asks them what type of dog. And if it's a dog where carriers want to write it, they will offer further insurance for pets. And our customer is feeling like they're not missing gaps, but more importantly, it's a natural discussion. It's not, oh, wait a minute, I was supposed to talk to you about pet insurance, and I don't want to talk about that. So it's much more natural flow. That's really interesting because, of course, naturally, it's no big secret that insurers often suffer with this reputation of not being that trusted. So it's really nice to be able to reposition that so that the end customer feels like, actually, I'm getting some expert help, which is always valued. Bigger picture, are there any challenges that everyone has in common? And I guess I'm including you as an InsurTech. Well, I I think we're all being crushed by the speed of decisions and there's a lot of urgency. And I think part of that is the real acceptance and advent of Zoom and other online meeting tools. 
But also it's because people feel like they're less time to really waste. And so they want help now and they want to buy what they need. And it's your only opportunity to sell them additional products and services because generally they really won't want to hop on the phone. So there's a real pressure on everybody, including us, to you know meet that crush of time. Yeah, and within those headwinds, there's also big tech looking to move into the space and new insurtechs popping up almost weekly. I mean, insurance is a mandated and therefore highly in-demand product, so it's highly competitive too. I think competition makes you sharper. And Mm. when I look at the companies that want to enter into the space, I think that they're also trying to figure out ways to drive the best opportunities for themselves. And they look at us as a partner, not as a threat to them. So we may partner with some of them. We may compete against some of them. But for us, it just makes us better at what we do. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, so much to say there in terms of partnerships, because actually sometimes some of these big tech firms what they don't have is the insurance expertise. And of course, that's where partnerships come into play. And they are, as you say, very, very powerful. Yeah. And we get a lot of them who come to us often and will say, you know what, we realize that we don't want to build this. It's not within our scope to build an exchange. So we do want to partner. So a lot of times we'll partner on a given opportunity where a large customer will have this particular tech company or insure tech and we'll come in and we'll do our part to enable what we can do. And we work to enhance each other. And in another engagement, we might compete. So I think there's a lot of um, identifying the opportunity, not making these bold, I'll never work with that company statement. <laughs> yeah, because there can be synergy. And I think a lot of companies have these big discussions or decisions around, do we build it? Do we buy it? Or do we borrow it? And I think by borrow it, I guess it's partnerships. And I guess in terms of these challenges that we've been talking about, the, the next obvious question, for Bolt, anyway, in terms of your focus, is how do you solve these challenges? What works? Well, very seldom do we sell what is known as commercial off-the-shelf software or license it. We usually are brought in to be a problem solver from our experience and very much a problem solver from how our technology can enable a solution. So whether it's geographic issues such as windstorm in Florida, fires that are all over California, or even hailstorms in Colorado, we're brought in a lot of times to say, I want to have market availability, but I also need an easy to use platform so that my folks don't feel like they're overwhelmed trying to figure out what's the best solution to solve a problem. We're always improving our exchange by pre-fill of data, using uh, assumptive reasoning through artificial intelligence and having the best markets that are available. So we have a large customer that has retail sales agents and their agents kept going to the same companies because it was easy. The muscle memory was there. Our platform has helped them in two years go away from an 80% placement of insurance with this one carrier to now it's 30% with this one carrier. And the 40% is broken up amongst another five carriers that are now in the mix of getting business. And they directly attribute it to our platform as the reason that they're having that success. Gosh, that's super impressive. I'm guessing as well that if you live in a part of the US where you do have these microclimates, let's call them, you want to feel as a customer like you still have choice, like you can get home insurance, like you can get things insured that that you're not going to be turned away. And I'm 
please correct me if I'm wrong, I'm guessing that's part of the bulk power that you can enable that choice to say it's not just one insurance plan, that's it, because you live in California where there may be a fire. There are plenty of choices. Yeah, I think our responsibility is to step up to the plate and help our customers solve problems. So our customers will often come and say, I have this market, this market, this market, but I have a problem in Florida with windstorm or hurricane and all the storm-related issues. Can you help me? And we'll say, yes, we have these markets available. Let us introduce them to you. Or if you can't get a market, you can use our markets and you can build your credibility with that carrier or managing general agent MGA. Mm. And again, instead of just pure technology, we can bring in our distribution expertise. We can bring in our insurance expertise. And when we call up carriers and MGAs, because we have strong background, they will talk to us about not just the technology, but the actual business issue. So that gives us an advantage. Yeah. This may be a strange question. I, I hope it's not. But have you ever had any learning experiences where what you thought would work didn't? Yeah, all the time. You know, (laughs) we we aspire to the uh, fail often, fail fast and fix. One of the greatest examples I always give is our team was absolutely sure that travel insurance would be just a killer thing to add to the platform. And, And the problem that they found out was the travel insurance is often placed at the time you buy a ticket, if someone's going to buy it. And so no one really thinks about travel insurance until you actually need it. Mm. So it's not really a great thing to sell on our platform, not because it's not a good insurance, but because it's not insight in mind. It's, yeah. you know, really, I bought an airline ticket. Oh, I think I'll buy that coverage. It's a point in time purchase. Absolutely. And, and let's face it, United Airlines or Delta, they figured that out with the travel insurance company who figured out that this is the best way to distribute my product. So we tried it, tried it for like a week, saw nothing, and immediately took it off the platform and said, Mm. you know, great idea, it's time is not there. And we took a pass on it. We actually brought it back, though, for a specific customer that wanted it for a specific use around wedding insurance and around some other things, and it was phenomenally successful. So again, we failed, we took it off, We brought it back when it was the right thing, and we eventually found value in it. But we didn't sit there and try to find 50 different ways to market it. We, you know, walked away when we knew it wasn't going to work. Yeah, yeah. And and being open, as you say, to taking off if it doesn't work. I noticed on your website, vaultinsurance.com, one of your blogs talks about insurance transitioning from a product that's sold to one that's bought. This blog attributes this to customer experience. Now, obviously, a great customer experience increases customer retention. We all know that. But every buying journey has its own friction. So what can insurers do to offset insurance buying frictions? Pretty big question there. Sorry. (laughs) No, no, it's a really fair question to ask. I mean, traditional insurance, the way it's always been sold, has to change. And so we do a lot of collaboration around how does it change? How can you help it change? How can we help you visualize it differently to our carrier partners? And so we're often saying to them, you're asking way too many questions. We have this set of questions we're asking. You want to add an additional 10 questions, no one's going to answer them. They won't add you to the journey because you're too hard to do business with. But the other piece of it is 
they have a lot of information in their database about their customers or about prospects. So we use a lot of their information because part of the journey is people are really impatient. They don't want to wait for anything. And it really frustrates them if they think that you know who they are, but yet you're asking questions that show you don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. So you can use um, third-party data, for example. I mean, gosh, there are so many companies out there who already have collected and aggregated loads of information that you guys can use. As you say, we're so impatient. That helps. That helps the journey. And I suppose as well, machine learning and AI, all of these predictive tools, again, drawing from these massive databases that other people have to answer very similar questions. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you an example. We use a lot of third-party data, and we use a lot of what's called assumptive reasoning, which means that it deduces in a cul-de-sac or like a series of five homes in a neighborhood that the homes were all built at the same time. And it has the data on, let's say, three out of the five houses that say that the house was built in 1980, the roof was replaced in 1995, the electrical was updated in 2012, And from there, it draws assumptive reasoning to say that house that you're looking at, based on what we see, the roof is probably still, if it was changed to 95, it's still 25 years old and the electrical is still 12 years old. And it uses a lot of assumptive reasoning so that when our customer is going through the interview, instead of saying, Fiona, when did you have your roof done? Now, a lot of people don't necessarily remember that. We do it differently. So the question will say more reasonably, the roof was replaced in 1995. Do you agree? And people will be like, yeah, that doesn't sound right because I replaced it in 2020. So it's using assumptive reasoning to drive data, to drive action. And it really is very popular with our customers because it helps the interview go a lot smoother. Yeah. So we take all the data that they've already accumulated and we immediately identify three things. One, the eligible carriers. Two, the amount of questions that they'll have to answer in order to get a quote. And we generally can get the quote experience down to about five to eight minutes. And that includes getting premiums back. And so we'll say to our customer, these are the number of questions. This is the questions we need to have. These are the carriers. And so they can say to you, Fiona, I have additional quotes with these carriers. Let me go through a few extra questions. Oh, and by the way, while I'm doing it, let me also see what I could do for you on auto or on pet. Uh So the whole experience is designed so that, again, it's intuitive and it's narrative. You take the fear of the unknown out, you manage the process, you get them to the end as quick as possible, and you really try to sell them more. So whether it's selling auto with home, home with auto, you're really trying to match that up. So when they're going through the experience, it feels like a conversation on purpose. It doesn't feel like a QA. and a Yeah, or that you're being sold to. I mean, I was going to say, what are the customer retention metrics associated with bundling versus monolines? Well, there's really a wide-scale understanding in the insurance world that if you only insure one policy per household, you probably will have no retention with that customer for two reasons. One, they aren't connected to you enough, so there's not a real feeling to stay with David Brandeis Insurance Agency. So best practice is you want to have at least two policies per household or more. And the real best practice that a lot of people really coach and talk about is while you have someone on the phone, the more you can get them to think about that, 
the more you close, the more you'll have the average of seven years lifetime value of the customer. Whereas I said, with one policy, you may not even have a year. That's really interesting. I stay with my same auto insurer year on year because I don't want to change it. And actually, I have that relationship. And again, it seems strange to use the word relationships in relation to insurance. They seem counterintuitive, but actually it is about building relationships. Yeah, there's really only two reasons that people move their insurance. One is usually price. Obviously, if your price goes up more than 10%, you wake them up. And once they're woken up, they begin to think, you know what, I got to move. Or there's a really bad claim or a feeling on a loss control, which ties into the claim. Loss control meaning the inspection of the home or the property. But the two biggest are usually a claim or a premium payment. And those are usually the two reasons. And once people get the feeling they're going to move, they're probably going to move. However, if people have a couple of policies, so home and auto, they're a lot less likely to do that because they're like, eh, I got to move the home, I got to move the auto, that's a lot of work. (laughs) But if it's just auto, they're like, "Eh, I'll just call X company and move it. Yeah, and that's classic behavioral economics right there. In fact, let's relate that to this idea of customer choice because for some buying experiences, I definitely want choice. But for others, choice makes me feel quite overwhelmed or even stressed and looking for the exit. So how do insurers balance what can be two diametrically opposed emotional responses in a purchase journey for people like me? I think that choice is critical. However, you can overwhelm people with that. So for our customers, they want to be seen as a trusted advisor to their customers. And the way they do that is they don't want to offer 10 choices. What they really want to do is say, listen, I chose these three companies because they have a really strong financial rating or because they really struck me as having the right coverage for what you need. But more importantly, they have great claim paying experience. They have just a really do a great job. Now, for me, it makes me feel good because I feel like my agent didn't just try to sell me what was the best commission, best revenue for them. And I think choice is really about not how many you bring, but why did you bring it? And again, you're really my risk manager Explain to me why I should do that. And I think that's a really important distinction is that people want to feel that you listen and care and understand. Of course, they want to feel that way while you're doing it really fast. But choice (laughs) is all about not a million choices, but three or four really good ones that you can explain and give the position of expertise. Absolutely. One of the things that this new technology has enabled, and you have touched on this, is the democratization of insurance. In other words, if you have a brand and a customer base, you can now offer insurance. If you had a crystal ball, where would you see this trend going? Oh, it's going to continue to expand because we're seeing a couple of things on our side. One, lead gen firms that lived and breathed on selling leads are realizing that they're seeing the end of the road. And for them, what's occurring is companies are saying, I used to just sell this lead, but I can make money at this and actually get an additional renewal annuity from working on the Bolt platform that really gives me far more value than just selling the lead. So the lead gen firms are trying to look for different ways to reposition their story. And then you have a lot of companies that weren't necessarily in the insurance business, but they realized, you know what? 
I run a really good business where I do a lot of connection through outreach and I manage customers and whether it's consumer product goods or market services. And I realize that there's revenue to be had for me mm. if I can turn around and sell this product. And since I'm not licensed, I can't sell it. So Bolt can help me with both the distribution piece as well as the technology. And I now have a way to not only sell consumer product goods, but insurance as well. And I look better to my customer because I'm giving them more strength to stay with me. And I make a few extra bucks in my pocket. And mm. we have one firm is a support firm for large trucking firms around GPS. And Fortune 100 companies hire them to talk about, you know, what was the person doing with the truck? Where did they drive the truck? Did they take from the load? They, it can tell you everything about the truck. Well, what they decided was their customers, not the trucking firms, their customers wanted them to help them with insurance because they see them as kind of an adjunct to insurance. So they came to us and we put a program together where we brought them three or four really good insurance carriers and they were able to offer insurance through our licensed professionals. And they look really strong to their customers because they're broadening the uh, services they can offer. Yeah, yeah. Are your customers ever surprised at how quickly they can get moving and get to market? At table stakes, you gotta be up quickly. We signed up a new customer on Tuesday, and the guy immediately said he wanted to be up and running by Thursday, and we had him up and running actually Wednesday. We did the training Thursday, and they were good to go. So to answer your question, it is table stakes to be quick. Most people just want to get on the platform. They want to start using the exchange. They really want to uh, test and learn, try it out, and we could spend you know months trying to sell it to them. The faster we get them on the platform, the better results we have. We've um, taken several large, what are called general agencies, where the agency is owned by a big insurance company, and we've helped their agents use the platform. And the insurance company is delighted because it's getting their agents to start selling stuff again. And the agents are delighted because the platform gives them more to sell than just one insurance company's product. The speed to market, we again had them up in less than 15 days. That was 500 agents. We trained and enabled, as we call it. And so one of the things that we take a lot of pride in is if we can get you on the platform, we get you using the exchange, whether we talked about earlier a non-insurance as democratization or a direct customer that's selling insurance, we will have really strong conversion rates. And conversion rate for us is quote to bind. And so we find if we get people on the platform quickly, the quote to bind ratio generally runs in the in the 40%, which is really strong. Yeah. And then the results speak for themselves. So as you say, you're not really having to sell it because you're saying get into the exchange and you will see those conversion rates happen. Exactly. And at Bolt, you're awash with insurance expertise. I think this is one of the things that, that I noticed. The team resumes, they're full of insurance carrier names that even I as a Brit have heard of. But again, what strikes me is the technology muscle within the organization as well. So you've got both. How unique is this dual capability that Bolt has, if I can put it that way? I know it's unique because so many of these insure techs that we compete against, they're super smart people and they're really interesting what they did before they went into insurance, but they don't know the business. And in the end, technology gets you a seat at the table, gets you invited in. But in the end, when you're sitting with 
the CEO of a major distributor, customer to us, and you can talk about the industry with expertise and precision, you blow away the technology. Because the first thing people pretty quickly realize is technology will get you so far, but if you don't understand how the technology gets enabled, Mm-hmm. It's really not going to work the way you want it. And so we're oftentimes, even when we have to respond in competition, we usually blow away what we call the oral part of it, the discussion part of it, because the examples we give are real examples about insurance industry issues. And they're not technology discussion. And we've talked to several of these insure tech folks. And, you know, when they're first starting, they talk to you like, they're going to change the world. You're, you're going to be left behind. We're going to eat your lunch. And then like a year later, they're in a new role. Yeah. Technology takes you so far. It's what you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and when you've worked in insurance, you've got that granular understanding. You've got those stories to bring to the table. You can speak the language. And there, there is a language to be spoken. Let's be honest, this is, is a wonderful industry, but it is a complex, nuanced industry, insurance, and, and you need to know what you're talking about. Yeah. Have you ever said no or even not yet to business or a business? We never say no. We have at times on some stuff said we don't necessarily see a market. So we'll really try to work with the carrier partner. So we get asked on a lot of things that are what I would say esoteric that they think is a really great idea. And, you know, an example, wedding insurance is very niche. It's a large niche, but it's very niche. And so this firm wanted us to put it on the platform and we, we talked about it and we just said, you know, I just don't think our priority by our customers is that type of event insurance. Then the pandemic hit and no one was getting married. But even now, the company that had come to us originally, they're no longer offering it, partially because of the pandemic, but partially because it didn't drive the demand need. So if we don't do something, it's generally from our insurance background that it feels like it's going to be a lot of work and it's not going to deliver the return. I'll give you an example of where we proactively went after something. We proactively identified that pet insurance was going from what would be an indemnity policy. Your dog gets sick and passes away. You get Mm. coverage. It's become much more like health care for pets. And so we identified that in, I think, 2018. We saw that. So we started harvesting carrier partners that saw pet insurance as covering the animal's ongoing costs. And it's been hugely profitable for us because when someone spends $5,000 on a Labradoodle, they will spend about anything they can to help the Labradoodle get through hip dysplasia Mm. or broken limbs or something that affects them. And by providing that value add, it makes it much more risk management coaching and relationship. And our customers love that. That's been very popular. And as a devoted Labradoodle owner, we've got a two-year-old Labradoodle Watson. I couldn't agree more. David, I feel like I've just had the privilege of getting some real insider knowledge. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for inviting me to chat with you. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm not as nerdy as Jim, but I do love insurance. (laughs) I've been doing it probably longer than he has. So thank you. I really appreciate it. And that ends our podcast. If you want to learn more, head to boltinsurance.com and do make sure you follow Bolt on LinkedIn because we'll be putting a load of bonus content on there as well. You've been listening to InsureTech Perspectives with Bolt. My name's Fiona Mattesini. Thanks for listening. <laughs>